This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, everyone. I would just like to take this uh, opportunity to welcome Reverend Daigon Gator back to Austin Zen Center. Many of you um, already know Daigon quite well because Daigon has been coming to Austin for, I don't know, maybe, I don't Daigon, when's the first time you came to Austin? Was it in like 2013? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's been about seven years, um, you know, here and there. And I guess the last time Daigon was here, he uh, came and spoke on uh, embodied practice. That was uh, maybe a year and a half to two years it's been. And uh, we're very happy to have him back to welcome him. In particular, um, for those of you who uh, were not aware, we had, our, um, we had our annual memorial service for our founder, Shimbo Zanke Blanche Hartman, this past Wednesday to commemorate her passing, uh, which she did four years four years ago this past Wednesday. And um, when thinking about uh, remembering Blanche, for those of you, some of you may have practiced with Blanche uh, when she came, was coming back and forth from San Francisco Zen Center to Austin. Um, the most recent time she was supposed to come out but was unable to was during the Mountain Seat Ceremony in 2014. And it was at that time that she had, um, I believe, broken a bone in her femur. I think it was a bone. She broke her hip. Her hip. And so she was unable to come at that time. Um, and shortly after that, she went into Age Song, um, which is a nursing facility just a few blocks away from the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, Daigon has been her primary, I'd say primary caretaker during, uh, during those last years of Blanche's life and diligently uh, uh, went to see her and brought her what she needed and kept her company, for, you know, several times a day, um, month after month for, for quite some time. So um, being one of Blanche's uh, sweethearts and just uh, just such a heart connection to Daigon and Blanche and to this community, we thought what a wonderful opportunity to invite Daigon back uh, and to uh, to have him come speak to us about about Blanche. So thank you very much, Daigon, for for joining us today. For you, good morning. I'm very grateful that you all uh, are here. Uh, and I'm very grateful to Mako and uh, Choro uh, for inviting me. I, uh, I always welcome a chance to talk about Blanche, but I also really love Austin Zen Center and the Sangha there, and uh, I'm sad that I can't be there to do this in person. Uh, and I know that you all are very important to Blanche, and, uh, and your practice is, uh, was important to Blanche. Uh, and so I thought today I would um, start with a poem that I read at her funeral um, because I felt, I feel like it still comforts me in some kind of way. It's called Gone to the Unseen by Rumi. At last you have departed and gone to the unseen. What marvelous route did you take from this world? 
Beating your wings and feathers, you broke free from this cage, rising up to the sky. You attained the world of the soul. You were prized falcon trapped by an old woman. Then you heard the drummer's call and flew beyond space and time. As a lovesick nightingale, you flew among the owls, then came to the scent of the rose garden and flew off to meet the rose. The wine of this fleeting world caused your head to ache. Finally, you joined the tavern of eternity. Like an arrow, you sped from the bow and went straight for the bullseye of bliss. This phantom world gave you false signs, but you turned from the illusion and journeyed to the land of truth. You are now the sun. What need have you for a crown? You have vanished from this world. What need have you to tie your robe? I've heard you can barely see your soul, but why look at all? Yours is now the soul of souls. Oh heart, what a wonderful bird you are. Seeking divine heights, flapping your wings, you smash the pointed spears of your enemies. The flowers flee from autumn, but not you. You are the fearless rose that grows amidst the freezing wind. Pouring down like the rain of heaven, you, you fell upon the rooftop of the world. Then you ran in every direction and escaped through the drain spout. Now the words are over and the pain they bring is gone. Now you've gone to rest in the arms of the beloved. So um, I had the distinct honor to, to take care of Blanche for a number of years. Uh, both before she uh, broke her hip and uh, began her journey towards the end of her life and before that, uh, while she was still living at Zen Center. Um, Blanche and I were great friends. We got to be friends after uh, I moved in to Zen Center and became friends with her husband, uh, Lou Hartman, who preceded her in death by five years. Um, and, um, I, I feel like I, uh, I got to develop over those years a, a deep intimacy with Blanche and her teachings and, um, and also with, uh, with Blanche as a person. I think the great piece about Zen is that uh, we recognize the humanity of our teachers. And so uh, Blanche was extremely human. And, um, and we teased each other a lot. We fought each, fought a lot uh, and argued a lot um, about a variety of things. And uh, we loved each other deeply. And um, I think to understand Zen, uh, Zenki, you need to understand that she was uh, raised in the South, in Alabama, by parents who were social justice activists. Her father was a labor organizer and a, um, an anti-racist worker. Uh, and, you know, they were a Jewish family living in Alabama uh, in the 50s and 60s. So it was a very difficult time. But I think that it, it formed her uh, moral compass in a way that uh, still uh, affected her throughout her life. And I think influenced her Zen practice, but also just influenced how she was in the world. Um, first and foremost, Blanche was a Southern belle, just like me. Um, and, uh, and we would often poke fun at each other for the ways in which that uh, could be 
both joyful and problematic. Um, towards the end of her life, uh, Blanche <laughs> had a real need to sort of limit the amount of people that would come and see her. And part of the reason for that was because she couldn't stop herself from being a hostess, from being the person who um, had to make sure that everybody was taken care of. And um, when you're uh, disabled, when you're, when you're uh, trying to deal with your own health problems, that's not a super useful skill. <laughs> and so um, it was, it was uh, the way in which that affected Blanche was uh, still present. And, um, and I was actually having a conversation with two of her children on Facebook the other day. And one of the things we talked about was uh, at the time of her death, um, we sort of knew it was coming. And um, her daughter, Trudy, and I were sort of at the hotel or at, at the hospital. And, um, uh, and Blanche was resting comfortably. I wouldn't... You know, I have a lot of experience being at the bedside of people who are dying, and I wouldn't say she was actively dying. And um, all of her uh, Trudy's siblings were on their way. And one of the things that Blanche said over the last year or so was, you know, she wanted everybody to be there, and um, all of the children. So, um, so they were all coming, and uh, they were expected to start to arrive the next day. And um, so Trudy and I had decided we were going to go back to Zen Center uh, and sleep and uh, come refreshed in the morning. And we said that to Blanche. We said, you know, we're leaving and uh, everybody will be here tomorrow. And, uh, and we went home. Um, Trudy came to Zen Center, um, my home. And, um, <laughs> and, about, and this was like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And about midnight, we got the call that she had passed. And, um, and in thinking about that, and based on my experience of people's passing, I realized Blanche realized that she wasn't gonna be able to leave with everyone there. That it would be more difficult because she would feel the need to be sure everybody was okay. I also think that, uh, and, and it may not have been a conscious thought, but I think that her, uh, she saw this window of time and recognized that also that not all of her children were going to arrive tomorrow. And, um, and if anybody was missing, they would have a hard time. And so uh, she took this opportunity to leave before uh, anybody's feelings could get hurt. And, uh, <laughs> and it's really true for me. Like, that's what I feel happened. Um, she, the nurse had come in and prepared her for the night and adjusted her bedding and um, and had left her eyeglasses on the computer and then went to take care of other patients and uh, realized she needed her eyeglasses, came back within about 10 minutes, and Blanche had gone from uh, resting comfortably to she had passed. Um, and and um, I think Blanche... Uh, chose that time because I think that that's part of this death process uh, we in some way choose when we leave and um, and Blanche chose to leave when <laughs> nobody would uh, have hurt feelings
So um, I want to talk about Blanche's practice, and I want to talk about the way that Blanche taught. And I think, you know, a lot of people focus on her derma talks, and um, she wrote a, one of her students actually compiled her teachings into a book called The Seeds for Boundless Life, which is an amazing book and, and pulls from her Dharma talks into uh, these really great sort of small pieces and small bites that you can take and digest and, and, um, and let wash over you. Uh, but you know, Blanche's main way of teaching was, to, was the way in which she was in the world. Um, she, You know, there's a way in which when you spend time with someone and, and you sort of can learn from them through this osmosis, through this um, intimate contact. And so if you spend any time at all with Blanche in the sewing room or hanging out or sitting across from her in tea uh, or even just sitting in the zendo, I mean, I think that some of my happiest and uh, best memories of Blanche were sitting together uh, in meditation and the way in which she um, transmitted the Dharma in her commitment to Zen practice, in her commitment to um, loving everyone. Um, I think, you know, Blanche picked up on Suzuki Roshi's main teaching, which was to see Buddha in everyone and really took that to heart. And I want to um, read a little passage um, from her book about this. Um, so she, this is what was written, uh, and I think this came from one of her Dharma talks. Suzuki Roshi used to say, see everyone as Buddha, see each being as Buddha, see yourself as Buddha. And if we're all Buddha, if we are all interconnected like that, or inter-R as Thich Nhat Hanh, a renowned master of Vietnamese Zen would say, then an all-encompassing love has to be our experience. So for me, having that understanding, I just don't know how to say how meaningful it is to me and how much I hope you will have this experience in your life of this warm-hearted connection with everyone, with all beings. We are interwoven with each other. I am in you and you are in me. And to come into your own realization of this deep connection that you all have with all beings is the greatest gift you could, could get. Our aim is to have complete experience or full feeling in each moment of practice. What we teach is that enlightenment and practice are one. But my practice was what we call step letters in. I understand this much now. And next year, I thought, I will understand a little bit more. Do you ever feel like that? Is that an experience you've had? I would, I, was, I would never be satisfied. It doesn't make much sense. I could never be satisfied. If you try step ladder practice, you too may realize that it is a mistake to think that if we do not have some big, warm satisfaction in our practice, then it's not true practice. Even though you sit trying to have the right posture and counting your breath, it may still feel and still be lifeless zazen because you're just following instructions. You're not kind enough with yourself. You think that if you follow the instructions given by some teacher, then you will have good practice. 
but the purpose of meditation is to encourage you to be kind to yourself. Do not count your breaths just to avoid your thinking, but to take the best care you can of your breathing. If you are very kind with your breathing, one breath after another, you will have a refreshed, warm feeling in your zazen. When you have a warm feeling for your body and your breath, then you can take care of your practice and you will be fully satisfied. When you are very kind with yourself, naturally, you will feel like this. And I think that um, that's actually what Blanche practiced with the most. And, you know, she often said that her practice was kindness and she wanted, and she really devoted the last few years and her last several Dharma talks were really based on <clears throat> the loving kindness meditation sutra. And I think she wanted to understand what kindness really was. She often talked about uh, she wanted to practice being kind. And, um, and I think that uh, she was trying to, to, to really dive deep into what it meant to be kind. And, um, and we would often have these um, arguments, but they weren't really arguments. They were just us having this deep discussion that went on for, I don't know, months about what kindness really was, because I'm of the opinion that sometimes kindness is angry and sometimes kindness is uh, confrontive and sometimes kindness and compassion uh, can feel like uh, not that from other people. And so, um, and Blanche really, um, this is where she would rub up against her Southern Belleness. She just really felt like, and sometimes acted where kindness uh, meant that she um, allowed people to, uh, I don't want to say get away with stuff, but, but she didn't really understand that sometimes kindness meant standing up to people or um, challenging people. Um, and, and it's funny because in Dokasan, I, from what I understand, I actually never had Dokasan with her. Um, but from what I understand, she could be really fierce in, in the way in which she um, would uh, confront people who were not necessarily practicing kindness towards themselves. And um, um, and and as often the case, we as teachers often have um, <laughs> have the experience of, of saying to our students or saying to our friends uh, exactly what we need to hear ourselves. And, um, and Blanche was definitely one of those people who, um, and I wanna say that part of what was really fun with Blanche and I was we also um, saw the humor in the ways in which we treated ourselves. And so um, very often, she could get me to laugh at pieces of myself that I couldn't, um, I struggled with or, or that I had difficulty with. Um, and she, she could laugh about her difficulties in those same moments. And, um, and I'll give a great example of this. Um, at San Francisco Zen Center, every morning at nine o'clock, we have a work meeting, which is a big giant circle and everybody sort of gives their stuff. And, um, and I was having difficulty with a couple of people at the time, and I had talked to her about it, and, um, 
<clears throat> and her advice was to just keep my head down and shut up because I was basically I was having a real difficulty with my own judgments like I recognized that it was my opinion and not necessarily helpful and um, and that I didn't need to say anything but I was really struggling with this and and so she had said made this joke about head uh, keep your head down and, and mouth shut and um, and she's phrased it in such a way that it was like, and this is what I do in these situations for myself. And um, <laughs> and one day during work meeting, um, somebody was talking, and um, Blanche leaned over and bumped my arm and whispered to me, um, "Head down, mouth shut. Head down, mouth shut." And we both lowered our head in that moment. And, and it was this union of us um, really uh, catching ourselves in our own sort of making of suffering for ourselves. And it was very funny. And we actually joked about it a lot after that. It became sort of this um, uh, way for us to shorthand um, moments of our interactions. Uh, So, um, yeah, um, Blanche had an amazing sense of humor and, um, and also was incredibly witty, like, um, and not in the, the, the sort of ways in which you would suspect. It came from a deep realization about her own experience. Blanche was great at taking the practice of take, stepping, having, taking a step back and turning the light inward. Um, Blanche um, really tried very hard to know herself and, um, and hold herself accountable. Uh, and I think, you know, she learned a great deal being a social justice activist. She was deeply committed to uh, making San Francisco Zen Center a safe place for all people. She was deeply committed to um, changing, you know, as much as possible, changing the world. Uh, the, her favorite picture of herself was, uh, there was a march put on by the Buddhist Peace Fellowship uh, for the people of Burma after uh, the coup. And there was some interaction between the junta and the monks and there was a big difficulty. And there was a march here and Blanche sort of is leading the way, carrying her bowl upside down. And, um, and it's her favorite picture of herself because behind her is this uh, banner about Burma and it's a political march and, and she's making this statement. My favorite picture of Blanche was uh, her, she had, there's a picture of her every year. When I moved in the first year after I moved in to San Francisco Zen Center, Zen Center started marching in the San Francisco Gay Pride Parade. And, um, and every year that we marched, except for the last one, which was after Lou's death, she, um, she rode on the float and would sit zazen through a crowd of a million people screaming and yelling and, um, and, and, and all of this energy would just sort of be, uh, would come at you, this joyful, exuberant, uh, 
energy and, and it was very hard to sit through it, but Blanche would sit the entire way from the time we started till the very end. She sat Zaza and, and, it, and it was amazing. And there's a picture of her that somebody had taken of her sort of preparing and she's carrying an umbrella and uh, behind her is the gay pride parade uh, flag. And she is, um, she's just smiling from ear to ear, so excited to be there. And, um, and it's one of my favorite pictures of her. Um, but part of this, this, you know, part of being an activist, part of being a social justice person is to, to uncover our own, uh, our own commitments to um, the oppression of other people. And so, you know, to understand how to undo patriarchy, I've had to really look at how is it that I'm committed to the patriarchy and how is it that I was trained and socialized. And Blanche did that really a lot. And, and you know, how she was raised and socialized um, in, in a culture of white supremacy and in um, patriarchy and in capitalism but she really tried to understand what are the ways that I am contributing to other people's oppression. And so she held herself accountable in ways that were really beautiful, but also super subtle and not in this sort of shame based way, but in this way of like, I'm responsible for my part and, and I'm going to change my behavior. And so people would say, you know, people who had difficulty with her would say stuff to her and she would take it in as a way to kind of understand um, how to be better in the world. And, um, and she also uh, did the same for her practice as the abbess, when she, you know, Blanche was the first woman abbess of a Zen training monastery outside of Asia. And, um, and, Actually, I, I had no idea how important she was to women in the Buddhist world um, until I was in grad school with a bunch of Buddhist people studying Buddhism. And um, I brought my classmates to Zen Center for uh, dinner and a Dharma talk on a Wednesday night. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and it, there was probably 10 of us. And of that 10, there was like seven who were uh, women. And <laughs> we sat down started our dinner and Blanche came in with her plate and sat down at her normal seat. And all of the women were just like moved over to talk to Blanche and were so excited. And it was, it was that moment of realization of like, Oh my God, she's like, she's just my friend Blanche. I didn't really realize that she's also a rock star. Right. And the way in which uh, she was very important in the Zen world. And, um, and I would, uh, tease her about that afterwards and and she would just sort of blush and and not really understand she also ordained many people of color uh, and made sure that they were protected from uh, as much as possible and as they progressed through the system of, of San Francisco Zen Center so that they could become teachers and she gave Dharma transmission to uh, women of color uh, uh, and, and I think that all of her students are uh, from 
marginalized communities. They're queer, they're women of color, they're um, lesbians or all of the above. And I think that uh, that's one of the things that Blanche really excelled at was she, um, she made sure that uh, to the best of her ability, there was uh, opportunities for people who could fall through the cracks or may fall through the cracks. Until the very end, Blanche um, was a devoted sewing teacher, and I think many people have been touched by uh, the fact that she brought the lineage of uh, sewing our robes uh, to the West, really. It was not a practice outside of Japan, and even inside of Japan, it's, a, it's kind of a rare practice, and, and Blanche was deeply committed to it, including the fact that um, when she was in the nursing facility and um, not doing well, but she uh, called a couple of sewing teachers in because she realized that they didn't know how to sew this particular thing. And it was a, a small uh, a version of a rockasu. And I can't remember the purpose of it, but it was, it was a special, uh, ceremonial need and so she trained a couple of people in how to do that um, because she realized that nobody knew it and she didn't want it to go unknown and um and i found that really amazing um she as, as well in her last year she completed dharma transmission for what the last of her students um and um including uh, with the help of Victoria Austin, but she um, she participated as fully as possible, including calling, uh, it was a, a woman student, and so she called all of her women friends so that they could have an entire, the entire ceremony and all of the pieces of it were women-led and focused on being a woman ancestor. And that may not sound like much, but you have to realize that Zen, even in, the United States is an incredibly patriarchal thing, and um, and women teachers have to sort of live in this world of, of patriarchy, and and so the fact that there was this ceremony that was deeply committed to women and women ancestors and the knowing of uh, the the strength of women in our practice. Uh, was deeply, I think, meaningful for the two women who were taking transmission, but also for um, for Zen as a whole. And I don't know that it ever happened before at San Francisco Zen Center, um, and uh, I'm not sure it will ever happen again. So, you know, at the core of it, at at the core of it, Blanche's teaching was a lived teaching she didn't um she didn't try to put on a whole lot of airs she was definitely uh committed to just being herself and and to practicing her um in the midst of her own life and 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 um you know she 
even when she so-called retired, she was still sort of expounding the Dharma in these ways of just being with people. And it's funny because she didn't actually understand that that's what was happening. And um, I would often say to her, like, like she would feel guilty about my commitments to her or feel like she was overworking me or whatever. And, and I would try to explain to her how important it was and how honored I was to just be there because just being there, uh, it, it was a lot like being in a, in a misty, in the fog of Jarma because just hanging out there, you would get wet, right? Like it would just be, uh, in the air and you couldn't escape it. And so, you know, I often say that she was never my teacher, but she was my greatest teacher. I often say that she was uh, never my teacher, but she was my greatest protector. And she was definitely committed to my, my development as a teacher, as a student, as a person, and, um, and did what she could to, to help me succeed. And, and I think that this is, this is how, this is how the Dharma actually gets transmitted. It's, it's not in the Dharma talks. It's not in the um, sewing lessons or in the classes and all of those things are super important for sure. But honestly, if we spend time watching our teachers and watching our each other and watching ourselves the dharma is transmitted if we can see buddha in everyone if we can start to treat ourselves and everyone we come into contact with as buddha we honor the teachings um you know a lot of people will want to say that suzuki roshi taught zazen focused on meditation, but if you go back and look at his talks on a, on a whole, or you listen to what people actually say about how he was in the world, and the same is true with Blanche. How Blanche was in the world, and, and what Blanche really wanted to teach was to see Buddha in everyone, including herself. And the same is true for Suzuki Roshi. That's, and I think that more and more, I feel like that's what Zen is at, at uh, you know, meditation helps us to see Buddha in ourselves so that we can see Buddha in each other. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and, and how we embody these teachings. You know, when Lou died, Blanche gave me his everyday rakasu, the rakasu he wore every day. The rakasu is the, the uh, robe we wear for work or, um, things like that. And, um, and on the back of it, Mel Weitzman had wrote, written uh, to expound the Dharma with this very mind, or this very body is foremost. And I think that that's what uh, both Blanche and Lou tried to do. And it's the deepest teaching I think we have in our practice, in our school, in our lineage is to expound the Dharma in this body and mind. 
and if you if you hang out with people, if you come around the Zen Center and you get involved in things and you um, put yourself in this mandala of people that exist in our Sangha, you start to see the ways in which we embody our practice. And, and in that embodiment, the Dharma gets expounded. And I think that's the best we can do. So um, with that, I want to open it up for questions. And um, I don't know how that gets handled here, Churro. Maybe you can uh, play moderator or something. Uh, so thank you very much. And I welcome your questions or even comments. Tell me your favorite Blanche story. Thank you so much, Daigon. Um, I think if people have questions, we can try just unmuting. Um, and people could also perhaps post in the chat if they have something they want to leave there for, uh, for a response or make an offering. Rob? Hey, I've got a question. Um, in this story you were telling about, I think, um, Blanche at the, at the march for the, the folks with Myanmar, you mentioned about her having the bowl and it being upside down. And I'm sure there's something symbolic that's being expressed there. If you could, if you could talk about that. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's great to see you. Um, um, so uh, the symbology of that is that um, monks in particularly in Asia rely on begging and, um, and a great deal of emphasis is placed on uh, for lay people on supporting the monks through uh, offerings. And you make the offerings in people's bowls. And uh, the problem with the monks in Myanmar at the time were that they turned their bowls over and weren't allowing the junta to make offerings. Um, and in you know the cosmology of the beliefs around that, uh, they were basically um, not allowing the hunter the opportunity to do good in the world, to make up for the karma of the damage that they were creating. And so uh, that was a symbolic move, turning her bowl over. It was recognizing the plight of the monks. We have a question from Maureen. Okay, so um, the source is, um, uh, from her, the book that was written about her uh, Dharma talks and practice called Seeds for a Boundless Life. It, uh, it's attributed to Zenki Blanche Hartman as the author, but it was compiled by her student Zenju Earthland Manuel. Uh, and it was released just before her death. Um, and, uh, and I have this lovely picture of her seeing it for the first time and um, uh, the smile on her face is incredibly contagious. Um, so, and then the second part of your, your question is the discussion of kindness is not something I've heard about as a central part of Buddhism. I think that, um, you know, we chant the loving kindness meditation, but we don't really talk a lot about what loving kindness, what metta actually means, right? And what and, and oftentimes we, we talk about kindness as an offshoot of compassion. 
And Blanche would really, um, <laughs> she was very clear that if you wanted to be, talk about compassion, you were talking about kindness. And if you were talking about kindness, you were talking about compassion. And, um, and so uh, I think kindness is just another way of, of talking, um, talking about uh, compassion and compassion practice. And, um, and I think that, um, yeah, so I, you know, and I don't think we talk about it enough. I, you know, I think that we don't talk about it enough as both a practice of uh, being kind to other people, but also how are we kind to ourselves and how do we treat ourselves? And I think um, for Blanche, that was a deep question and, and something she really worked with a lot. And, um, and that's often the, the scope of our conversations because we were both very hard on, each, our, on ourselves and we recognized it in each other. And so maybe it's just because um, of that, that we had numerous conversations about kindness to ourselves and the ability to laugh at ourselves and, and to just uh, see ourselves as Buddha uh, and, you know, Buddha doing the best we can on any given day. So, um, yeah. Thank you very much for that question. It's a beautiful question and uh, I really appreciate it. And Sherry asks if we can post the photos uh, on the AZZ website. I will try and get those. I'll, I'll definitely be able to get the, the one. I don't know it, the one about plant smiling with the first version of Seeds for Boundless Life, um, but I, I don't know if the other one is electronically scanned somewhere. Um, Mako, maybe you or Choro or Tim know if that exists somewhere electronically. It's hanging on my wall and I could try and scan it, I suppose. What you could do, Dagon, is take a photo of it and send me the photo. Okay, I'll do that. Just making sure that, you know, there's no glare, but that would be a one way to, instead of having to go take it to a scanner, you can just snap a picture of it. And All right. That'd be great. Yeah. I'll do that and send it today. Along with, I'll look for the other one. Say that, Tim. I was just going to say, I definitely have a, a number of friends who have that picture of her on their Facebook site, so we could find it that way as well, like uh, her holding the umbrella and just sitting in the parade. Oh, the, the pride one, yeah. Yeah. I, have yeah, I actually have that, that one. Okay. okay. I was thinking of the Myanmar one. I don't know if that exists electronically somewhere. Okay. Sure. I got a copy of it from, from uh, Vicki Austin just this week, and it's... Uh, it's not a very large JPEG, but I do have it. I can, I can. Awesome. See I'll make sure to get the other two to you, Choro, uh, after this talk. Okay. Or to, yeah. Thank you. Excuse me, Daigon, are you, are you taking questions, comments by audio? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you just shared with us today. So rich. Um, she was very good at attracting people to her who were hard on themselves, I, I noticed. I mean, sure, I'm sure she attracted many, many, many other kinds of people uh, as well. She was very good at that. Uh, you may have gotten myself included there. <laughs> um, uh, just to share an a image I have uh, in my head, um, uh, just be, because you had 
said, uh, we're talking about images of her at that pride parade. And, and I, I know we were all going to pride parades, but way back when I was around in the nineties, I don't know. I can't remember if Zen Center was officially taking part or, but I, I remember people would put on the robes and join. Um, but the image I have uh, was when I was at Tassajara, uh, the, I don't know if the tradition is still going on, but it had been a tradition way back that there was a 4th of July celebration parade in the middle of the summer. And maybe she had done this more than once, uh, but when I was there, she had dressed up as the goddess of liberty or yes. goddess of liberation, right? Uh, you know, as a statue of liberty, that that goddess, that particular goddess. And uh, uh, <laughs> was she being pulled in a garden cart? Or I think that would have been, well, she was being pulled by, I think the Eno, uh, Gabe at the time. Uh, down the central path. And uh, the reason I'm sharing that with you is because the image you described of her, the picture we're all talking about, uh, the one you're talking about, uh, Gay Pride, it was precisely the same her, it, just suffusing this, this happiness of the day and to be with each other, this kind of, yeah, it was a very, uh, and there is there isn't a, pic, a picture of that I think in Wind Bell maybe more than one of those over the years. Yeah. You might be familiar with that, uh, Diagon. Some of you others as well. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's called the Interdependence. Oh yeah, that's right. Interdependence. And and I believe it's still going on. Um, yeah. It is quite the interesting celebration in the middle of guest season to have yeah. this uh, strange parade. Yeah. Um, the other great story about Blanche is, um, you know, often when we're in practice period, um, these these intense sort of moment periods of study, there's always in the middle of that a, a talent show. Oh. And Blanche would always participate in the talent show by singing, sing-alongs. She would insist oh. that everybody sang with her. <laughs> uh, and um, her favorite one was This Little Light of Mine, and she would sing it over, like, repeatedly and it would just um it was so funny because before lou died it like it, it it used to just wear i'd be like oh my i would roll my eyes and just be like okay here goes blanche again and 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 it's really funny because now sometimes i hear it in my head when i'm thinking about her mm. as this sweet moment um so uh, and sometimes I'll hear it like randomly in the world and I'll just uh, be taken back to these moments of Blanche, Blanche and her sing-alongs. The name of that song again? This Little Light of Mine. This Little Light of Mine. Right. It's actually a, a children's hymn from Christian. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and she also liked to do the, the fishy song. Uh, <laughs> and they swam and they swam all over the dam. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, this little light of mine is the one I'm mostly here. Right. Anyone else? Yeah, um, Dagon, I, I wanted to thank you for, for opening with um, 
the sort of evening of Blanche's passing and the, the story that of how you received that, because I, I have a similar experience of um, when Lou died, he was the first um, he was the first dead body that I'd ever sat with, you know, in this tradition of Zen for three days, people are laid out and you can sit with the body as a way of honoring their passing. And I remember um, Lou was laid out in the <clears throat> in that bed in the Zen hospice across the street. And I was actually afraid to go and sit with the body. I'd never done anything like that. So I waited till like the third day and I walked in the room and there was like five or six people um, all sitting there in the room with him. And I had this feeling that when I opened the door of a kind of cacophony, like it was boisterous in there. And he was sort of entertaining everybody. Like he was having conversations with everybody in some way that that's what it felt like. And then when Blanche passed, I went the first day to sit with her in the Buddha hall and it just seemed so silent. Like she was completely gone. Um, and that's been a kind of koan for me, somebody who was so present in life with everybody um, to just kind of let go in that way. Um, and sometimes I had a story about, you know, Lou had passed first and so she felt free to go or something, but it, it continues to be a koan that kind of my own perception of what that, what that meant. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Mm, thank you. And yeah, Lou's death affected her deeply. Um, I think, uh, especially towards the end of Lou's life, she really was uh, very occupied with taking care of him. And, um, you know, and they were married for 68 years. And I think that um, when he died, uh, she quickly became ready to go herself. And now part of that's the depression of grief. And I, I, you know, she recognized it and I recognized it. But yeah, definitely towards the end, she was very ready. She was, she wanted out. Yeah. And I think that that does have something to do with it. And I think that, um, and I think it's also very interesting because Lou was such an introvert and really disliked crowds and really, uh, he loved one-on-one -on -one interactions, but only very limited. Like they were very, they had to be very quick. Um, and, um, and, and Blanche was such an extrovert. And so the fact that Lou's, I didn't get to sit with him. I was actually at Tassahara. I got to come back for the funeral, but I missed being able to sit with him. Um, and, and so Lou, Lou's sort of being this boisterous conversation and Blanche's being very silent is also very interesting to me. Um, quick story about Lou. You know, the last time I saw Lou, he was in a, a facility downtown and it was I, we were on break between practice periods and I went to see him and um, the last conversation we had was as I was leaving I hugged him and I said I love you and I asked him if I would see him again and he said I hope not and um, and to me it was this moment of, of deep connection <laughs> so yeah it was very important to me and somebody just posted the fishy song in um, in the yeah um, and then Tracy 
pointed out that she loved, oh, and there's the, this little light of mine. Uh, she was very fond of the Xing Qing Mei, but whenever Blanche would talk about the Xing Qing Mei, which is a, a old, old ancient Chinese poem that uh, some attribute to Taoism and other people attribute to Zen, and she never got beyond the first line, which roughly translates as um, the way is easy for those without preference. And she would spend an entire practice period talking about the Xing Qing Mei, but every time she talked about it, it would be just this first line that she could get through and then um, <laughs> that she would never get beyond it. So that, that, That's exactly right, Daigon. That was my, my experience. Uh, although I, she, to give her some little more, she, we did actually get some, maybe even a third of the way, of course we had 90 days. So we, maybe we did get about a third, but it was really the first line that was yeah. uh, <laughs> that we kept talking about. <laughs> other other people. Hi, Choro. Hi, Daigon. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to say something about sewing uh, with Blanche. I'm, I'm not a sewing teacher, um, but she uh, came to Chapel Hill. Zen Center after, quote unquote, as you say, retiring um, to start uh, transmitting the practice to other people. And um, one of them was uh, Jacoco Mo Farrell, who is now the sewing teacher, has been the sewing teacher at the Chapel Hill Zen Center for a number of years. And um, she came for about, she came to stay for about three weeks uh, with us. And we were in our summer practice intensive. So lots of people were coming to Zazen and a lot of people got really inspired to ask for the precepts. And there were six or seven people in our relatively small Sangha sewing. Um, and Blanche, you know, Blanche's enthusiasm inspired them and their enthusiasm inspired Blanche. And she was staying with uh, my teacher, my root teacher, Pat Phelan, Josho Pat Phelan. And every day after Zazen, they would go home and eat breakfast at Josho's home. And then they would come back and start sewing. And after a few days, Blanche thought this breakfast thing was a huge waste of time. She, she just wanted to start going. So, so she just basically said, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to have, you know, some, some cereal or some coffee. And anybody's welcome to stay after Zazen and join me. So she was very inclusive. She just, you know, brought people along. And so there was sewing for hours and hours every day. Um, and I have some pictures from that. And it was, it was really, really wonderful to have her with us just just so much energy uh, and enthusiasm and inspiration. But she was also tough, you know, it was just like her to say, nah, I'm not gonna be a good guest and go home with you for breakfast. I'm just gonna stay here. And uh, Joshua had no choice but to say, okay. <laughs> yeah, so many, many little Blanche stories. I never did a practice period with her, but um, my experience of her was just very welcoming big warm hug every time I appeared in California. Um, and uh, she said the last time I saw her before she went into age song, she said, she looked at me and just said, my practice is love. My practice now is love. And that, that made a big impression on me. So thank you for sharing her. A really funny story about Blanche and sewing. So um, uh, she was actually asked to go learn to sew, I think by Richard Baker. Um, or it was Suzuki Roshi, I can't remember who. And she, 
sort of looked at them like, are you kidding me with this? Like, I hate sewing. Uh, before uh, coming to Zen Center, Blanche was uh, the major support of her family and had already sort of broken through a lot of womenly barriers. And so she was just like, I'm not going to learn to sew. And, um, and she, she used to say all the time, like, yeah, I was, I, I don't really know how to sew. I just know how to do this. And so for her, it was very funny to, uh, to understand that she actually never wanted to be a sewing teacher. She found it um, in the beginning. And yet it was her greatest teaching, I think. And um, when I was sewing my first rakasu as a layperson, I was a bit of a perfectionist. And so I would always, um, I would sew a little bit and then I would pull the stitches out and I would sew a little bit and I would pull the stitches out. And at one point Blanche just sort of looked at me and said, okay, you're not allowed to pull any more stitches. It is what it is and just, you've got to finish. <laughs> and, um, and it was, yeah, she would, um, she could be very tough. And then other people, she would sort of see their stuff and say, oh no, you need to pull that out. Um, I also really got the pleasure when I was sewing that Rakasu to, to spend time with her who I think is her actually favorite student of all time, which was John King. And uh, he was sewing his transmission robes. And, um, and so we were in the sewing room together and John and I have a shared history as activists, uh, queer activists and AIDS activists, and, um, and also being uh, people with HIV and, and sort of surviving through all of that. And, uh, and so it was Blanche, John and I often in the sewing room and, um, I do believe that he was her favorite student. Um, Diagon, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just want to um, thank you for sharing this part about um, Blanche and the sewing. Um, I didn't know Blanche, and um, it's wonderful to hear um, about her uh, and her life, and uh, it it feels that feels really, really good to me. So I'm so glad that we're doing this. And I'm really glad to hear about the sewing because I understand the um, sort of early women, you know, oh, am I gonna do this? Is this a traditional thing? But um, it's turned out that sewing and fabric crafts have kind of woven all the way through my life. And um, the sewing that I've been able to do with um, teachers, with the Zen teachers, um, has just been this wonderful teaching. I'm feeling particularly nostalgic now that we're um, in our um, separation mode because we had such a wonderful sewing circle here during the last year that um, I've been in Austin. And um, I'm just really deeply appreciating that and appreciating um, Marco's leadership on that and uh, Onrio and our, our other teacher. But um, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a wonderful way for us to practice together and, and interact. And um, so thank you for, for sharing that. I just wanted to, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Marco, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your experiences. I know that you and Blanche got to practice together a great deal. Um, and, you know, being a sewing teacher, you could talk probably more deeply. I hated sewing and I, um, <laughs> after I finished my 
uh, ordination robes, my priest robes. <laughs> it was, I said something about, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't ever have to do this again. And Blanche said, well, not for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Dagon. It's exactly what I wanted when, when thinking about having uh, this talk and this time together is just these stories that, um, these very human, that I really appreciated your speaking of Blanche as a very much a human being in the Dharma, because that's exactly how she always presented herself. She never took on airs or if anything, she was, she, she did the opposite, which was to always bring herself down to the level of whoever was there and in to, to meet them. And um, maybe even too much. So, right. Um, but uh, one thing I did want to say, actually, there's a story that I had I alluded to during the memorial ceremony we had on Wednesday, um, which is that of laughing in the Zendo, which is not something that you normally hear a lot of in the Zendo. Um, there was this one, uh, I think it was an intensive, maybe it was the first intensive that I did after moving into the, to San Francisco Zen Center, City Center, and um, Blanche was leading the the she was the the doshi in the zendo and holding space and somehow um a friend of mine who uh was my first roommate at at san francisco zen center aaron merck um mm -hmm. she and i were sitting next to each other and the little transom window above our heads like it was getting really cold or windy and it was making noise and blanche got up and got the long rod you know so that she could go and and close it and I think it was starting to become like really noisy. So she got up from her seat during a period of Zazen and, and walked over and both Aaron and I had caught the giggles at this point. So we were both sitting there trying really hard not to laugh out loud, but both of us, we could see each other's bodies kind of moving around with our laughter and I was trying to stifle it. And then when she got up and she like, we heard her pick up a stick and we, we didn't know what, what was going to happen, right? We were both new students and we thought she might whack us. Right? <laughs> we were sitting there trying so hard not to laugh. And, and just, you know, because we were sitting next to each other, we were kind of um, playing off of one another without meaning to, but that's what was happening, right? It's just infectious. And she came over and like shut the window and, um, and then walked very slowly, you know, back to her seat and we could hear her you know, get back into her seat and, you know, find her posture and settle in. And then like a second later, the, the window like slammed open again. It was this big, loud noise. And both Aaron and I just cracked I and mean, we just couldn't hold it any longer. And then the, the whole Zendo kind of, I mean, it just kind of erupted in this laughter and Blanche just got up from her seat again, <laughs> picked up the stick and went over and closed it again. And, and, you know, just, I mean, it was just so clear that I, I had this feeling that even though she didn't herself burst out laughing, I could, I felt like she was so tickled by the whole situation, you know, and, um, and that, that kind of, um, you know, the trust that she had in, in people and their Buddha nature, I think is just, that's what one, one way in which that really um, uh, entered my heart early, early on in practice. I think it was one of the longer, you know, the first times I, before going to Tassajara, you know, just being a new resident in San Francisco Zen Center, um, it, it really made an impression on me, that and many, countless other, other 
you know, uh, stories of Blanche and just her, her, um, her all pervading presence in the building and just how accessible she was there for meals and she was there to, you know, uh, let you into the sewing room and her, her patience with sewing. And like you said, you know, sometimes she would be very, um, you know, she would tell people like, like she told you, like, stop taking out your stitches. Like one time very fiercely, she slammed the ruler down on the table during sewing class and was just like, you can't redo your life. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> and then, and then other times she was, you know, she was, um, you know, depending on the student and what the student needed to hear, her message would be 180 degrees different. Right. So just being able to see her occupy um, her space with each individual person and how she wasn't one person. She was a million people, right, depending on who she was with and what what they needed as well. So. Um, so thank you. Thank you again for coming. And um, I wanted to also just say Melanie uh, is in the chat. She's asked a question, so I want to turn it over to Melanie. Uh, okay, so I'll read Melanie's question. Melanie's question. I, I want to say something about Blanche, though. I will say, Blanche showed up to everything. Like, she was always at everything. And, um, and the hardest part for her as she aged, and, and uh, particularly after Lou's death, uh, it was okay for her to miss things when she was taking care of Lou. But then she, like, she got to a point where she couldn't sit in the Zendo anymore. And um, she started having to miss things. And, and it was the most difficult thing for her. And we would always, you know, I've had a disability for a long time. And so I've always been looking after my health. And that meant sometimes skipping out on things. And so we would have these long conversations about her being an example of taking care of herself for people, that that was her job now, rather than being upset with herself for missing things. And, um, and that was, probably the most difficult struggle for her. Um, so uh, I like the idea of you and Blanche are friends and saw each other. I love that we can form unexpected friendships with our spiritual friends as practice with each other. To Zoji watching, when such a friend sees your flaws and also recognizes something special about you. Oh, well, thank you. That's a beautiful comment, Melanie, and I really appreciate it. I love you. I'm, I'm always so thrilled to see you when uh, smiling at me whenever I'm in Austin. Um, it's, it's really a, a pleasure, and thank you for the beautiful comment. Um, and I, I think that that's, if anything, that's Blanche's legacy, right? Like so many of us, see Blanche as our spiritual friend, even if she wasn't our teacher. Anybody who came in contact with her, I think felt her friendliness, uh, even in those moments of fierceness. Yeah, and she could be fierce. And, um, and, but even in that fierceness, there was this deep love and appreciation. And um, yeah, and I still miss her every day. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I saw her numerous times a day for months and months and months and months and years. And, um, um, and, you know, and I've taken care of people at the end of their life a lot. I work as a chaplain and provide spiritual care. And, um, and it's, I think one of the reasons Blanche trusted me, uh, 
but whatever that was that happened in that place with us, I, um, I was changed by that deeply. And um, yeah, I really miss her a lot. <clears throat> I think we have time for one more. Liliana, you're muted. Please unmute. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for your talk. That was wonderful. And especially the part about when she was ordained as abbess and having that woman-centered ceremony. And why did you say you think it won't happen again? Or I guess just the way it happened then, but... Yeah. I, um... I, I don't know if there's anyone still um, as deeply committed to women and women's practice inside of the institution that is San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, that, um, I mean, I think that there are people who include the women's lineage in their Dharma transmission and uh, will do that. And Norman Fisher, uh, created a beautiful rendering of how to do that as part of the Dharma transmission process. Um, but, uh, you know, Blanche brought in uh, her friend and, uh, you know, Pat and Blanche actually sat Tangario together at Tosahara, from what I understand, Pat Phelan. Um, uh, and so she brought Pat in from South Carolina and some other people in from Florida and people from Santa Cruz and, and brought all of these women together and was very intentional about making it a women, transmitting the Dharma to women ceremony, you know? And um, I, I, I don't know that there's anyone who's that committed and that, who sees the, the value in that and sees the importance of that. Um, and, and, you know, Blanche saw things as important that a lot of people would just sort of oversee because of their own uh, social location. You know, so, you know, Blanche was committed to, to undoing white supremacy and, and so was able to see and, and, and really, um, stand up against moments of, of oppression that other people just sort of stay blind to. And I think, um, yeah, I think that, I don't know that there's anybody as deeply um, committed to that process who would take the time and the energy and the effort to make that happen for people. It just said. You know, and at the same time, it set a precedent, you know, like exactly model, yeah. like if anyone wanted to do it. Yeah, she did. She set a precedent, and I, I hope that it continues on. Um, and and I, I mean, I hope that I'm wrong. Um, and I hope that there are women who will make that happen for other women. Diagon, I think that um, I know that Tia Strozer, mm -hmm. uh, now of Brooklyn, Brooklyn Zen Center. Um, is deeply committed and um, 
she passed on a number of uh, the ceremonial documents for that ceremony to me as well. Uh, so just so you know, it is, there is, uh, <laughs> there is. <laughs> <and> that, <laughs> it, yeah, Brooklyn Zen Center is an amazing place. I love Brooklyn Zen Center, the, both uh, Tia, but also uh, Greg and uh, Laura, they are deeply um, committed to justice and, and equanimity and equality. And, um, and the effort it takes to make that happen. Like, I think that a lot of people are committed to that, but then when faced with the effort it takes to make that happen, can, can sometimes let that fall away. And so, um, you know, Blanche was not one who would let that fall away. She would come up against that effort and then just double her efforts. And, and Blanche was a deep supporter of mine. And I, when I ordained as a priest, she was in the hospital. She had had a bit of uh, heart problems and um, she was actually supposed to be one of my preceptors. And um, so, you know, I was very sad when I found out, realized that she wasn't going to be there. And um, I had been sheltered in the Zendo all morning. Uh, and when I came upstairs, uh, she was sitting there in the Buddha hall um, and um, with this huge smile on her face. And I, <laughs> I was shocked, but also just deeply moved that she had put in, and she had made it happen that the, she was, it was okayed by the doctor, like she was gonna get out that day anyway, but she just pushed to make it happen early enough that she could be there for my ceremony. Um, and, uh, and I have pictures of her with my mother, who was also very, uh, I was kind of surprised she was there as well. And um, seeing these two very important women in my life at the same place. And um, yeah, so she put the effort in to make sure that things, even if it was hard. And I think that's a really great place to end. I want to thank you all for your attention and your love and, um, and your practice. And um, every day, you at uh, <coughs> IG, you at uh, Austin Zen Center, Zen, Zen KG, are uh, living her legacy. And um, she was so deeply moved to be named founder. And, um, and I am deeply moved whenever I'm there and I see her picture in the Kaisando. Um, it really touches me deeply. So um, thank you all very much for your practice. <laughs>